do you know that, that if you're afraid, there is like this natural block and you're not going to get stoned? I did not know that. I have a story about that. Do tell. Yeah. Do you want to smoke more first or? Let's, let's smoke more yeah. first. All right. So here's the deal about pot. Marijuana is very powerful. She works with our subconscious. The subconscious decides what newer pathways will be open. Eve, right? And um, the beauty about marijuana is that if you don't want to let it get you stoned, you don't get stoned. And in fact, if subconsciously you don't want to get stoned, you don't get stoned. Here's a story. So a friend of mine comes from California, and he's like, well, I never got stoned. No, I would like to try. Like, no problem. Of course, he tells me, preempts the situation. Yeah, I've tried once, never felt a thing, so already I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get him stoned, right? So he comes up. And of course, you know, oh no, inhale this, inhale that. No, hold it, hold it. You know, the whole shebang. It's always nice to have a virgin. It's kind of like exciting, <laughs> right? And um, yeah, so he doesn't get stoned, right? Because that's how it is. Um, I'll go ahead and project and just, you know, knowing um, my friend, uh, a lot of anxiety, takes one to no one. And he... He, you know, there was a block there, right? So I tell him, I said, listen, here's the deal. I know that you just have to control it in the sense that you let go of control. You just have to really allow yourself to do this. It's like, well, how do you know? I'm like, well, I'll tell you my story. I smoked for the first time when I was 35 years old. You know, I grew up with a lot of judgment about the topic. For me, marijuana and heroin or whatever crack, I don't even know all the names, right? It was the same thing. Drugs are drugs type of environment. Conservative, orthodox family in Jerusalem. Okay, There were no drugs in our high school. Wow. Yeah, yeah, nothing. That's impressive. Well, it, it was just like good kids, you know, type of thing. Why do you think that is? Um... The religion keeps you in check, you know. There's a there's a there's an unawakened quality to it, um, and yet also beauty. You know, it's funny. I was an atheist, and I'll go back to the trunk of this conversation in a second. But I was an atheist um, as long as I can remember, uh, probably from the age of eight until my spiritual awakening in my um, late thirties. But I always thought to myself, wow, if my kids, if I grew up here in, in Israel, I would want to send them, like I had this conflict in me, like I want to send them to a religious school because I wanted them to learn what I learned. You know what, what it was? In, in my religious school, 
we've learned things beyond the 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 religion we've learned we've we've learned the language we've learned hebrew really really well there was just the you would meet somebody i'll tell you i'll tell you something else you study the hebrew bible you know hebrew really well because the hebrew bible is the source of all hebrew words there was no hebrew before that it's like um english sort of like built over time hebrew wasn't like that's what makes this language so unique suddenly a book appeared and voila you have a language Every word that we say in Hebrew today is a derivative of a word that appeared either in the the Hebrew Bible or in the writings that came after from it. You know, the entire Hebrew Bible. So the the first five books and then all the rest, right? Now that's it's it's almost magical. It's like, oh, a book appears and a language is formed. But that's how it was. So we have the source. We're probably the only nation on the face of the planet that has the source of their language written. So that's pretty interesting. And now I didn't know all that then, but there was something about the the religious environment that I did like. Now, of course, today I look back and I know why, right? So going back to the trunk of my tree, grew up with no drugs, a lot of judgment, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. But when Dan and I moved to Spokane, I just told her, I said, you know, she had her own experiences. Um, she was always my teacher in these kind of things, you know. Um, but I told her I want to get stoned. She's like, well, okay, let's let's do it, right? So I don't even know how to do that. So we go to my friend's house. Oh, no, it's like the first thing that happened that we get to Spokane. It's like, you know how the universe delivers type of thing? <laughs> first thing that happens when we get to... Um, to Spokane, we run into these people and one of them grows it. It's beautiful and it's like, you know, all like organic and, you know, the good stuff, right? And I got to tell you, I'm trying to smoke and nothing happens. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm frustrated. It's been, I don't know how many times I've tried, five, whatever. And I'm like, is it me? Is something wrong with my own? Of course, I had so much fear. I had so much anxiety, so much uh, inability to let go of control. I was a very different person than I am today. And I go there and I sit at my friend's house and I've tried that evening five times already and I inhaled each time like the best, trying to hold it, you coughed, whatever, you name it, I did it that evening. It was to the point where I just told everybody, just leave me alone, just like, well, my friend comes to me, um, this woman we were staying with, and she whispers in my ear, and she said, listen, relax. Bush comes to serve. You sleep here. We'll take care of you. You're okay. And I just eased like it was so nice to hear it from her. And 20 fucking seconds later, I was so stoned. I couldn't even touch. I could. My hand went through the glass. Oh. I've transitioned into this, you know, um, psychedelic experience i mean you know like when you two stone and it goes into the like uh, yeah psychedelic arena and uh it was scary it was fucking scary right but there was something the entire time that i just trusted because she told me that and i knew that dan's gonna drive us back whatever right it was winter, there was snow. There was so, much, so many things to worry about, right? I mean, we're not from the inland Northwest. We don't know how to drive in the snow, whatever, right? I mean, it was just like so intense. But I did, I let go of control. 
uh, I remember that next day. The first time you feel like your consciousness shifted. Now, I don't know if it's a superpower of mine. I doubt it. But I'm also obsessive about it in some way. Some oh, really enjoyable way. That I always remember previous states of consciousness so I can compare them to where I am now. I do this dance between them. It's almost like my mind is capable to revert back to a particular state of consciousness because I remember them all almost without trying. Hmm. And uh, some fade over time. It's almost like I remember just the ones I, not like this flat blanket of I remember every state of consciousness I was in, but almost like Every state of consciousness, for some reason, I need to access, I can. Do you know what I mean? So when I reflect back, I want, I'll give you an example. I want to feel what I felt in my wedding day. I can visualize it, and I can feel it in my body. And I remember, not every detail, but the vibration of the emotion, there is, it's there. Absolutely. You know, and that day after I got stoned for the first time, I realized that there was some kind of a shift of consciousness and it was related to my personality. My personality shifted. And that day I thought to myself, well, if you can see it happen, can you guide it? Marijuana is very powerful if you guide it. If you don't guide it, it's also very powerful. It'll give you probably just what you need and not more. But we can expand our consciousness using marijuana. And I found that the more mental head you are, the more you gravitate on the spectrum of human consciousness towards the zone of autism, whether you're a marginal autistic or as it's called, uh, Asperger. Um, he was Austrian, I think, Asperger. Uh, somebody published his article here in the U.S. and the name stuck. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I read it in a... Oh, um, a great book about autism, but I don't, I'll mention it later. But anyway... Um, so I'm going to go back to the original trunk, which is the story of my friend being here and um, trying to get stoned. I told him my story. I told him, you see, marijuana will not get you stoned if you don't want to get stoned. So he's like, okay, got it. So I said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you an edible. <laughs> so... From the time you digest it until the time you ingest it, you know, time will pass. We'll be talking. You'll forget about it. You'll let it slide in. You know, you're just, we're going to have a chance because, you know, the whole pressure of the smoking with, you know, with a pipe, it's just so like, you know, if you never done, it's like, oh, what, do I hold here? Do I hold there? Did I inhale enough? Oh my God, but I don't want to smell. Oh, I'm choking. This fucking sucks. You know, there's a whole thing, you know? And so the next day, I'm making brownies. Now, I've never made brownies in my fucking life. <laughs> oh, dear. But 
one thing I do know that it said in whatever recipes that I read online that to maximize the power of the THC, you must grind it so th- so that there's more surface that binds to the fat in the milk you cook it with. You basically make butter. And I grind that motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, I just grind the shit out of that. When I opened that grinder, it was like, poof, you know? Fine dust. Fine dust. Yeah. And I cooked it for like two hours simmering, you know? It was beautiful. So I make these brownies and, you know, we all want to have like, what, an inch and a half by an inch and a half. They're super skinny, you know, crappy brownies. (laughs) But, you know, we take a small piece and we start eating. We eventually decided just to eat half. So each of us half a piece, like a finger of a brownie. Now, for those of us who ingested edibles, they take time. They have to go through your system. They have to get digested. Depends how much your stomach is full. Whatever, right? Usually an hour to an hour and a half. Depends if you're a light person or... After 15 minutes, I feel like I'm beyond the roof and still climbing. And I'm telling Diane, I say, Honey, I, uh, I'm climbing fast, you know? And she's like, Yeah, me too. And my friend, looking at it, he doesn't know what to expect. He ingested just as much. And he's standing there and it's like, What the fuck's happening? Well, five minutes later, I'm puking my guts oh, out no. into this big bowl that Anne was, you know, amazing in her ability to bring it to me. Oh, and I was just after that, I mean, and I'm puking my guts out, right? And I'm like, whoa, that never happened before. I was a newbie too, you know, right. a year, two years. And all I can remember outside of my own experience is the voice of my friend standing, rocking back and forth and saying, I will not get stoned. I will not get stoned. I will not get stoned. (laughs) (laughs) He did not get stoned. That's impressive willpower. (laughs) Yeah. It's all about the intention. That's the beauty about marijuana. Anyway, so that aside, do you want to introduce yourself? I do. I don't know how, though. I'm Melissa. I am a mother of two, and I love my work, and I'm happy to be here. I don't know what else to say. That's a great introduction. Yeah. Um, may I share what you do? Yes. I, I'm not sure I know how to share what you do. Let me try and tell and then and then see if I you are a sign language interpreter? That's correct. Oh. Interesting. I bet it's such an interesting job. Why do you love your job? Mm, I love my job because I don't do the same thing every day. I get uh, I get to be other people. It's actually kind of a fun journey to 
ride through someone else's emotions. So if someone else is angry, it carries through you and you're expressing anger. If they're happy, if they're sad. So it it's this crazy journey of other people's lives. And then at the end of the day, I get to go back to mine. Wow. So I'm just realizing. Hold on. I have a moment of anxiety that this thing is not recording. I have oh. to check the computer. Let's see. Yes. I'm fine. It was oh. recording. Oh, yeah. Good. So I've got to ask you a question. Yes. So you're there because I'm just getting this, right? Somebody's angry and they're. Hold on. So I'm confused. Who are you translating for? You're basically speaking what they say in sign language, or do you also, or you also communicate back? Right. So I have a hard time it, imagining a scenario when somebody's angry. Can you, is there a uh, way to give an example without? Uh, where do you get angry? I, I'm uh, not really an angry. Mm, well, where might you see someone get angry? Might be a better question. Uh, a doctor's office, a bank appointment. A oh. social service appointment, a meeting with a manager. Oh. And I bet there's a lot of frustration for not being able to interact in the world like everybody else and not being understood. I think there's, you'd be surprised. There's kind of a, a pretty broad scope of feelings about it. There's a population of people who could not be more proud to be deaf and believe that they have something that we don't. They don't have to experience the world uh, through what everyone else says. Right. Wow, they're always in silence. I have to say as a marginal autistic, the concept of being in silence is, oh my God, I've just discovered it for the first time because I got this uh, noise-canceling headset. Those changed are, my, changed yeah. my life. Oh. Changed my life. I did yeah. not realize how sensitive I was to sound. I mean, I knew that I had sensitivities, but wow. So anyway, so I get it. So yeah, they experienced the world in a different way than we did, than we do. Right. And um, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it, then you have to go to the other end. And there are people who are sad in this world or feel they got gypped or yeah, all of those things that you think you would feel. So somebody's angry and they, uh, they communicate to you that they're angry through the sign language. Like you can see it in their body or I guess I'm looking for a scenario. I want to give a different scenario that somebody who's angry actually speaks. And do you, who you, you would need to try, you would need to express the anger in your uh, signs because the, the deaf person can see that the, and can feel that the person was angry. Well, how do you, Give me a scenario. I need to know how you transfer anger and why. <laughs> so it depends which way it's going. So if the hearing person was angry, I'm going to hear it in their tone of voice. You're going to see it in their body language. But in order to be an accurate interpretation of what's happening, my signs are going to be bigger. Uh -huh. It's going to look angrier. I'm going to be leaning forward with my body. I'm going to have my eyebrows furrowed. I'm going to portray the emotion so you you're an actress you have to embody a particular state of consciousness based on the situation you have to know to read the situation yes it's an art 
I, I yes. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I never thought of sign language like that. You, you, as an interpreter, are uh, the sole holder of the information that happens in a room. Truly, because anything that gets interpreted goes through the interpreter. Of course. Any filters we have personally, we try to filter out as best as is humanly possible to keep the message neutral. But the nuances don't get across all the time. You hope they do and you do the best. But truly, the interpreter is the only one in the room that knows if they miss their mark or not on the interpretation. Yeah. Wow, that, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. I think it's massive, yeah. Yeah. Try something for me. Get the microphone somehow, play with it. You can also twist it. You don't have to move the entire arm. I'll Closer there? No, that's good. Okay. Yeah, better. Do you feel a difference? I feel a difference, yeah. Yeah. I am hyper aware of my breathing. Me too. Let's drink water. That will help. That's one thing you can't ask marijuana to do to not impact you. Drying the body. Hmm. <clears throat> well, thanks for... Um, sharing this with me. I, uh, I love it. I love it. It's almost like I want to see you at work. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen. There's, you might be surprised when you're at some public event and all of a sudden I'm out there interpreting quite a bit. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, Melissa, yes. welcome to the Kabbalist's diary. Thank you. And uh, do you have a question, an intention, or a dream for me? I have a dream. And I think that it will lead to the question that I also have. Let's do this. All right. Yeah. How are you feeling? Just right. Nice. Yeah, just right. Yeah. Hmm. Can I move that lamp closer to you? Nope. If I just get this, is that a good distance? I think so. You okay. sound good to me. You can feel it. Yeah. I mean, you're you're an interpreter. You can hear your voice. Yes, I can. All right. The dream goes, well, I know that I broke into the dream somewhere in the middle of it, but uh, the beginning of the dream has failed. What do you mean broke into the dream? Hmm. Uh, I guess I just mean that, what do I mean? I think the dream jumped at that point. It switched places. Uh, I don't know. Broke into it. I guess because I drew a question mark and a line, somehow that <laughs> means to me. Never heard that expression before. <clears throat> okay, so the floor is yours. All right. 
So I was in a truck uh, that we had as a, a kid in a particular house that we lived in um, for the first time as my family that I grew up with. And uh, so we were in the truck and the brakes in the truck did not work. I was driving and there were several people in it. Um, the brakes weren't working, but I was going to back it down the driveway and kind of around a little circle area that we had. And uh, I was, remember feeling pretty cocky, pretty cool that I was able to do this work, get the car backed around the corner. And then all of a sudden I realized that there's a little girl and she's in her swimsuit just playing right there on the side of the street and I barely missed her. Uh, so once I'm all the way around the corner or we are all the way around the corner, uh, the, I realized that this pool that we've driven into, I, we're just sinking in water and the truck is getting lower and lower and I pull out oars and I start rowing to get to, uh, what ends up being a home with tons of stairs. And I don't remember being on the stairs a long time, but I do, well, I do remember that there was a lot and that they didn't go anywhere, no matter where you went. And then at some point, being back down at the base of the stairs and realizing that my phone was wet and just thinking, on top of everything else that's happened today, I can't believe this. And then I turn around to the water and realize that the water is cloudy and dark. And I wake up with the feeling of, oh no, what just got lost? Wow, intense. Yeah. Yeah. So that feeling at the end came with a large dose of guilt. And I woke up and journaled quite a bit about guilt, actually. Um, and that's a big, bigger part of my question about the dream. Guilt. Guilt. <clears throat> okay, let's break this down. First things first, that feeling you woke up with, the phrase you use is, what just got lost? Can you explain? Uh, yeah, so as I turned around, I, you've got the water there and it's as though something has dropped into it and the rings are going out around and realizing that something had fallen into that water and it was gone and that was it. So it's literally what object just got lost. What object just got lost. <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm waist down. Are you? <laughs> I am waist down. Oh, good. But good. Yes. Yeah. 
it takes a lot of focus because, you know, when you're stoned, your mind just want to go. And I'm like, wow, I want to be more present. Right. But I got it. Um, and I want to be respectful. But at the same time, I want us to have a blast. Sure. <laughs> the mind wanders. Yeah. So here's the deal. So it sounds like we already have something to look for. Um, we have a question. The question is, what is the object? All right, so let's park that and let's move on. So the feeling was after you woke up. It was like it remained with you yes. from the dream. Yes. Okay. And it came with guilt. Mm-hmm. Is it, what kind of guilt? Is it guilt that, ooh, I dropped it? Or is it guilt that... um it was my fault that it had been dropped. I don't know that I felt like I dropped it, but I had backed into the water and caused the scenario that made it drop. Is it inner guilt or outer guilt? Inner guilt. How would you define the difference? Uh, I guess for me, I was thinking you meant uh, guilt, inner guilt being guilt that derives from a feeling that I have um, empathy or compassion or realizing that I've done something versus outer guilt would be uh, the guilt that society has given to us that maybe aren't really genuinely at our core. What about guilt um, that is projected on us through other people's judgment, as in, if nobody knew that I dropped this, if this was mine, that would be okay. But if maybe it's somebody else's, maybe somebody will be angry that I've lost it. Mm. It's a slight different kind of guilt. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. It's, um, so which one is it? Uh, the inner guilt. I would define inner guilt just to articulate. Sure. Um, that outer guilt will be, I'll start with inner guilt. Inner guilt will be guilt that you feel from a self-deprecating kind of place. You're the inner adult, and the inner adult rules and berates and kind of places you always under the squeeze of some kind of guilt that you need to do more and so on and so forth. Versus outer guilt that is more a reflection of fear from the outer adult. Ooh, I've done something wrong. Somebody will be angry. Hmm. There is that feeling of somebody will be angry, but I think there's probably more of the inner guilt, the um, being ashamed of, what I had done. Okay. So the difference between the two is something to always look for because we're living in a universe that is binary. Everything is this duality. So everything can be looked at and the polarity can be found and we can work some kind of a pattern. It's like uh, witnessing versus validation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's like fear versus love. 
really the only two mother emotions, right? Right. And fear is derived from love because every fear relates to love. There's always that dichotomy. So here we have an interesting dichotomy, and that's the inner versus outer guilt. And what it does, it helps me as a Kabbalist to understand where you are on the spectrum in terms of your consciousness. Every choice like that helps it helps us see the puzzle. Okay. Okay. So we'll continue. How did the dream feel? So you were describing all these uh, experiences, such as driving underwater, such as almost hitting a little girl. And yet the emotion, the prevailing emotion out of the dream is guilt. It's almost like, uh, what kind of other emotions did you feel in the dream? Was there fear? Hmm. There was um, familiarity. Uh, familiarity with the house, the setting the cul-de-sac, and then leaving and going. I, I felt cocky. I felt proud. I was driving this truck that had no brakes on it and um, nobody else wanted to. I did it. And so... So there was no fear no, at that point? No, none. None until, the, the, until I saw the little girl. Uh-huh. Um, and then like a waking up, a moment of realization that what I was doing wasn't safe, wasn't appropriate, wasn't a good idea. Would you do that in real life? If there's a situation where there's a truck with no brakes and somebody needs to move it, are you the kind of woman who will be like, yeah, I'll do it? Or um, the dream was not a reflection of how you are? I, I am likely the one to say I'll do it. Would you be afraid when you do it? Would you feel some kind of anxiety? Uh, yeah, or? yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, well, I would feel the anxiety of doing it poorly in front of someone. Uh, and I, I guess more than anything, fear of making a mistake and doing it would be my anxiety. But not the fact that you're driving a truck with no brakes. Well, I wouldn't. No, <laughs> no. Right uh, there, polarity. Yeah. That tells me uh, something about the polarization of your heart. Hmm. The heart always polarizes either to the masculine or to the feminine, just like any, any other place in your consciousness. Uh, there's three layers. And the heart layer, the emotional layer, it's the energetic layer. And that one is, um, there's a division between fire and water. The fiery people, by definition, would not feel anxiety or fear in that particular state of consciousness, but rather more focused on Let's just put it this way. Let's think about uh, the lion character. 
Um, in, uh, wow, I did not grow up in America. You know, the little girl that says you're not, uh, you're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, uh, Wizard of Oz. Yes. The lion character symbolized something, right? Yes. Um, there's a polarity within human consciousness. I'm going to start again. I'm going to edit this and start again because sure. I want to say this right and I never said it before, so I have to think about it for a second. I was still too much in a hurry. See how I'm articulate everything I'm doing? <laughs> it's the autistic part. I don't understand why autistics do that. I, I don't know that I had ever realized that that happened. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I have a friend who does. It drives me nuts. I'm like, wow, I'm like that. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly true. what you mean. I have a friend in mind. It's making me wonder now. Yeah. It's very, it was very illuminating to read books about autism. It's like, wow, I, I'm, I, suddenly, I suddenly found myself. Mm. Yeah, anyway, so here's the deal. It's hard for us to put ourselves in a different state of consciousness. The natural tendency for you in such a situation to actually have anxiety about whether you're going to fuck it up or not. But there's many different people who would step up for a whole different reason. And there's almost, um, I don't know how to say what I want to say. You know, that tells me it's not supposed to be said now. Let's go back to the dream. Okay. Okay, so we know that... Um, We know that there's an element. Can I call this pride? Yes. To summarize, yes. you know, what, what is the core emotions around which this anxiety revolves? There's something about not wanting, um, how do you say it in English, to show face? Is that? Well, yeah, yeah, show face. Yeah. Never used that expression before. So let's group that as one more emotion. So we have guilt and we have that. Okay. And do you see the connection between the two? I do. Yeah. And I'll articulate it to um, those who don't. Guilt is losing face in some way, especially if it's inner guilt. And we already discussed the inner and outer guilt. If it was from the other side, outer guilt, that's more fear-based. That's more, it's uh, contractive. This one is more expansive, the desire to, to have presence. It's the desire to be seen versus the desire to be validated on the other side, right? Sure. This um, polarization is very important because the second we get that in people's actions, there's always an extra, uh, an expansion or contraction. We can already start putting them on the right place in the tree of life. Okay, and we'll talk more about that way later. But I'm just planting a seed to those who are interested in learning the model based on the tree. Um, I think there was a reviewer named Metatron on iTunes that requested that. So Metatron, if you're hearing, cool name. Um, so we have guilt and we have um, pride. Yes. 
Who's the little girl? Do you remember what she looked like? Uh, she looked like me. She looked like pictures of me as a little girl. Okay. So, yeah. And in a, in a swimsuit that I remember having. Okay. So we know it's you. And so you did something out of pride and you almost harmed yourself. Mm. Does that ring a bell? Yes. Are you willing to share with us? Uh, Only what's what feels comfortable. Yeah. Uh, let's leave it as a childhood mistake. Okay. That's guilt. Yes. Yeah. Mountains of it. All right. Well, we'll come back to that. Um, but let's finish the dream first. Okay. Water in dreams, since uh, you're my student in Seven Fat Cows, um, you already know what water in dreams. I do. Emotion. Emotion. So you drove the truck with no brakes straight into the water. I did. Yeah. And drowned. I mean, drowned the truck. Not drowned personally, but sunk it. And something got lost. And something got lost. And I was very trapped. Mm -hmm. I had tried to go up all the stairs, climbed everywhere, came back down, and I was looking at water that at that point looked expansive. Mm -hmm. It was no longer a small amount of water uh, and had no way out. So here's the way this works. My role is to guide you wherever you want to go. But you're the one who has to decide where you want to go. Now it's tricky. Because if you decide to heal a dragon, then you must know you face it. And what that means is that there will be some kind of an emotion that we resist that stands in the way of an emotion that we want to release. A dichotomy of emotions. Everything in Kabbalah is duality. It's actually in threes because there's a third one that decides who wins. But the duality is still there. It's above the third element. And the duality is always fire and water. Always. That's the beauty about the Kabbalistic model. It's very simple. It's brilliantly simple. And yet it allows for infinite expressions. As complex as they choose to be. So there's a dichotomy of two emotions within you. And they're fighting. 
And the decision on who wins is with air. Because fire, air always decides who wins, fire or water. Which means your breathing. Which means your presence. Which means your intention. Let's talk about guilt. How does guilt feel? Mm -hmm. Heavy. Heavy in my chest. Um, sinking. Warm. Fiery. Where do you feel it in your body? Uh, solar plexus. You're not pointing on your solar plexus. All right, where am I? It's heart. Half heart, yeah. But just below, right? Just below, yeah. Where the diaphragm is. Exactly where yeah. the diaphragm is. What other emotion we feel there? Hmm. Anxiety. Uh, yeah, grief. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, guilt. <laughs> I like <laughs> grief. I was thinking about something else, and boom, it just hit me. And grief. Uh, much lower, though. Grief <laughs> is stomach, Mark. deep stomach. Yes. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, so same place as anxiety. Yeah. So we know it's expensive. Mm -hmm. We know it's fiery. Yes. So what does pride feels like? Mm. Pride feels airy. It feels um, inflated. It feels big. It feels um, yeah, big. Is it expansive or contractive? expansive and what about temperature is it hot hmm. no and where do you feel it in your body um, in my upper chest like almost at the base of my neck So we have two emotions here. One emotion um, high in the, in the heart chakra, which is in the West we're going to call it the green ray energy center. And one just below the green ray energy center, above the solar plexus, which is the yellow ray energy center. And they're related to each other. One is fiery, that's guilt. Mm. It sits where anxiety sits, which also tells us something. And it relates somehow to pride, which sits above it. Now pride is a watery emotion. There's only one thing stronger than water. Love. Mm. 
It says so in the Song of Songs. It says, Maim rabim lo yichlu lechabot et ha'ava, v'nearot lo yishtefua. It's a verse that speaks about how powerful love is and talks about what's, you know, even rivers of water and many water, seas, could not turn off the flame of love. And uh, pride is watery. We're proud always to be the thing that is the most powerful. Mm. And so you have water above the fire. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Our bodies, our energetic bodies, just like our physical bodies, and just like our minds, which are the other two parts of our consciousness, always try to balance themselves. You have a wound in your childhood, and it's causing you guilt, which is fire. And so a different emotion steps in to turn off that fire. Hmm. And if you notice in the dream, it started with pride, and then there was guilt. It ended with guilt. Mm-hmm. And you were driving through water. You've drowned, mm. and yet... You still lost something. For you to balance your energetic body, you must deal with the source of the fire. That is guilt. And then whatever areas of pride that are there, will be addressed as well. So we don't know the story, Mm. but we know how the story began. The story began with pride. You wanted to be seen. Now that wasn't that bad. In fact, it's not bad at all. It's totally normal. Every little girl wants to be seen. From our other classes, you know who wants to see us, right? I prefer not to name. Yes. Does that work with the story? Yeah. Yeah. And that scene um, did not happen. In fact, a lot of, um, if I may project, probably shame in that moment. Yes. And uh, guilt. Yes. That's a heavy wound to carry. That is how our primal wounds are formed. We have a particular emotion that has been met aggressively with a different one. Boom, scars our emotional body. From that moment, it's a pattern in our lives. Every time we feel that original Uh, emotion, we feel the second one. Every time we feel the second one, we remember the first one. The first one manifests itself. Every time we have fire, flaming, guilt, pride will step in Hmm. because some water is needed. There's fire. 
fascinating. And it resonates. Watch the pattern. Watch it in your life. You'll see, and you'll notice, and you'll catch it. But there's still the matter of the little girl. Hmm. Now, how do we do that? You have kids. I do. Do you want to try something with me? Mm-hmm. So imagine that one of your kids is doing something just that stupid out of the need to be seen. And I'm sure you have a child that has that, <laughs> that desire to be seen. Imagine that they did something stupid because you know that place of wanting to be seen. You know what they feel. They just want to be seen how good they are and how, who, for who they are. What would you tell them after the fact? I would tell them that, uh, that they're loved that mistakes happen, that uh, we would take care of it together, that we would um, repair wounds and work together as a team to fix what happened. And um, fix is the wrong word, to bring good from what happened to find justice for what happened. We'll do it together. But there's a way through this. And just tell them how much I love them. So, Melissa. Yes. What was the object? Mm -hmm. What was the object? It was muddy water. Why muddy? What muddy water reminds you of means to you? Hmm. Muddy water takes me to Australia, to the Murray River. Um, muddy water. You've been to Australia? Yeah. To the Muddy River? To the Murray River, yeah. Was that a positive experience? It was, uh, hmm, yes, and, uh, yeah, and the, <laughs> and the first time that I really broke loose and behaved truly like a teenager. Mm. So, yeah, it was freeing and then horrifying, but also uh, not in a horrible way, like in a way that makes me laugh now. But at the time, I thought was mind-altering, shattering. The world was ending. Uh, so, yeah, it was a big experience. How old were you? Sixteen. Mm. When did what happened happened? 
what happened happened at, uh, before. Um, Australia was after. Is it okay to share how many years? Uh, yeah, it was about four years. Okay. What did you lose in those years? Mm. Myself. Mm. The ability to take care of, of me and not others. Childhood. It was when I lost, uh, it was when I gained, I guess before, I don't know how to say it. It's when I gained my sense of uh, duty to others. We can't bring back what we've lost. It's impossible. But we can create it anew. A part of the guilt is that. It's like ripples. Mm. There's guilt towards the little girl who did what she did. And then there's guilt to the little girl plus a year who had a horrible year. Something inside wasn't quite the same. And then there was guilt to the one a year later and the guilt to the one a year later. It ripples. Mm. I have some homework for you. Mm. You know, there's many ways to um, resolve a wound like that. Mm -hmm. But um, before we talk about them, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You've lived with this deep feeling of guilt your entire life. I have. Do you believe you can be without it? Ooh. My immediate reaction was I shouldn't be without it. Um, that damn guilt mm, sneaks up on you. Yeah. Uh, did you notice that? Uh, uh, bring in the water. Why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't I deserve to be healed uh, because I don't know if the other person is and uh, I feel responsible for that I see so there is a an energetic loop that is outside of you it's external yeah that must be reconciliated or brought to peace for you to heal your own internal wound. Uh, I don't know how to do that. Well, um, we know that Metaphysically, forgiveness is the eradicator of karma. Hmm. Um, I had such a primal wound. I told about it in uh, 
uh, in a previous episode, so I'll be brief, but I stole a lot of money from my best friend, mm. money that he got from his grandfather for his bar mitzvah. And I was, my problem was related to money, um, which comes from anxiety, by the way, not having enough. And uh, I stole that money. And uh, I, I remember that the prevailing feeling that because of which I carried this for 25 years was shame, was fear, fear that I will be exposed in my uh, in my nakedness of the guy I was. I was a traitor and I was a thief. I did end up apologizing and I felt like I lost 20 pounds in that moment. And uh, then I realized something in that moment, that forgiveness is the eradicator of karma. And it works magic with the other side. If you're genuine, and if you put your neck to the sword, it doesn't come down. Why do we not want to apologize? What's the worst that can happen? Mm. Uh, causing pain. Uh, asking somebody to go back. Oh. To involve somebody else in yeah. the trauma. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's compassionate. So what do we do in that situation? Well, here's the deal. You will have to decide. Um, and you'll have to find a way to create forgiveness without inflicting um, something that you shouldn't. The Buddha tells us how to speak tells us uh, only if it's true necessary and kind I think that uh, the truth you know test of truth passes here but the necessary we're already failing but intention is everything so here's what I would recommend I recommend. Are you a writer? I, I write, yeah. Do you like to write? I go through seasons. Yeah, but when you do, you express yourself through. You can, can you express emotions through writing? Yes. Okay. Write a letter to that person. Mm. Um, you, you don't, don't send it. Don't write it to send it, but write it as if you were sending it. And see what words come out. And see if you can dance around specifics, memories. And just focus on 
on what you want to apologize for. Just the portion that you own in terms of your action. And yeah, just be present with it. And if after you do that, you want to talk some more, but I would say that would be the first step. There is one more piece that I think that you potentially could benefit from. You know, when I apologize to my friend, um, I uh, I didn't know he felt forgive me. But the beautiful thing is, at that particular point, it didn't matter. Because I've forgiven myself. Now, my, my hope was that he would forgive me. But I also understood that we can only do what we can do. And uh, there's nothing I could have done that would have brought this back. I took his money. I robbed him of a particular childhood experience that can never be replicated. It's not the money. It's like, I'll match it to the current value, show up with $4,000. I mean, you know, can you imagine <laughs> the audacity? It's like, here's the value of what I've done to you. <laughs> huh. um, by the way, it's like, you know, that's the kind of thing an autistic person would do, like an Asperger or whatever. Um, sometimes. I know I was capable of it, but it's like, it's not because we're heartless. It's because we cannot access our heart. Um, but anyway, um, you know, um, and write another letter to yourself. Hmm. And say the things you would have told your son or daughter, your child. Because there was nobody that told you them, I can only imagine. Is that true? That was totally a projection. No, no, I, I had champions. Oh, you did? I did. Sorry for that assumption. No, that's... I, I'm still learning how to speak. It's, it's a fair leap to make. I, I had champions. I, I was well cared for in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was well cared for. The struggle's really internal. Yeah. Hmm. The dragon is waiting to be healed. <laughs> Here's the good news. Intention is everything. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I'm going to start with letters. That's a good place to start. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow, you are um, a very interesting person. Because... You know, I love the way you, um, the way you're present and the way you know yourself and 
the fact that you are very secure and very focused on what you want, what you don't want. And as I said, we don't know our superpower until we realize that others might not. And uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody who is so present with themselves, that knows themselves. But I'll tell you this, Melissa, you're ready to shed off the weight. I am. The Kabbalistic model works. It's unbelievable, but it works. It works not because Kabbalah is amazing. Kabbalah is just a system of knowledge that carried something ancient, a model with which the metaphysical universe works and reflects through the physical reality. That's it. There's a mechanism. For everything to work, there must be a mechanism. Consciousness is no different, both collective and subjective individual. We have the power as humans to heal everything within ourselves. You know, uh, shrinks, therapists, they help. They help, especially seasoned ones. I had an amazing therapist. And um, I would call her every few months and ask her a question and continue to work with the model. Hmm. I once asked her, I'll give an example. So I called her and I said, um, it was the time when the time when I was suffering from depression as a part of my dark night of the soul or what, what not to be, to be called. And I called her and I said, um, I'm thinking about killing myself every day. When should I be worried? She said, oh, when you start planning. I said, okay, so speak to you then, if. <laughs> Never had to talk to her about that, but I knew. I knew where I was standing. Like, oh, okay, it's natural. There's tools out there for everybody. And the Kabbalistic model works because it's logical. And for mental heads, that's important. <laughs> For those who are abstract, more artistic, for those who are polarized to the feminine in terms of their mental world, mental realm, the upper world, this knowledge is helpful in other ways. One can meditate on it. There's all kinds of ways, but not the way we do it. We mental heads, we understand the model, and then we see the pattern, and we know how to uh, watch the energy in our energetic body, and we start noticing it, and we apply it day to day. Now we know there's a dichotomy, right? Guilt yeah. and pride, guilt and pride. Every time you feel one of those, ooh, here's the water. Mm. You know what to watch for. It's just an energetic dynamics in your metaphysical body that manifests physically, reflects itself physically, and that is um, causing a lot of thoughts in your head. Remember, the emotional body sends impacts the mind and impacts uh, and impacts the the physical matter right? right the spirit the terminology would be the spirit impacts the soul and impacts matter reflects through matter so um we go we mental heads we go we learn one pattern after the other and we apply it 
That's why high-functioning autistics, marginal autistics, I correct? Oh, love this model. Because it's like, oh, wow, you mean there's an actual puzzle, a system, a structure that I can put in my head and apply to every situation, every emotion, every interaction, life, the universe, everything? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bring it, right? Yeah. But it takes time. It's, um, it's brilliantly simple, but it's multi-layered and three-dimensional. Or should I say it's three-dimensional and multi-layered. And so it takes time. Slowly, slowly. And we're going to do it only through experiential learning, learning like the one we've done today. Mm. So we're approaching the end of our session. And I wanted to know if there's any anything else you want to address today. No. No, there isn't. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. No, that was great. I will always love to have you here. I will be back. Okay. I think a dream next time. I feel like I met a friend. I, I second that. Yeah. I love you. I love you. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Thank you.